This episode is brought to you by Bray Wealth Insights. As an entrepreneur, there are many things to know. Bray Wealth Insights is in the business of helping business owners gain clarity. Many owners do not understand the importance of the relationship between their business, their personal estate plan, and their workforce. Bray Wealth Insights helps entrepreneurs to build business continuation plans, recruit, retain, and reward key employees. And with cutting edge surveys and tools, they help owners to understand what their workforce values. For more information, you can contact Bray Wealth Insights at info at braywi.com. That's I-N-F-O at B-R-A-E-W-I.com. Now back to our regular scheduled programming. Hello, and welcome back to Leverage and Beverage. We talk all things business building and beverages. I'm Greg Sobosinski. On the show today, we have Shay Rogio of uh, Soco Bag. Shay, how's it going, man? What up, Greg? Happy Tuesday. Go Phils. Is it Tuesday? Uh, Thursday. You know what? This is what happens when you open a restaurant. You forget <laughs> You forget what day it is. And, but, uh, but go Phils, man. We're, you know, go Phils. We're there. We'll still go back to go Phils. Absolutely. Hey, happy to have you here. Welcome to Soco Bag. This, this has been one of the most... Um, interesting starting points i think of any podcast you know we started with the tour yeah. of the place yeah um and to give anybody who's listening an idea of what's going on here we have you know um we have dust everywhere we have a new a new uh black walnut um uh bar top correct um, yeah we got a bunch of uh drills power tools everything all over the place so um Let's let's, get, let's give a, a quick uh, shout out to what's going on right here right now. Yeah, so we are um we we rented this space in May of 2023. So we are what are we on our fifth or sixth month now? Um, and that includes like a total gutting of the pre existing business, which was a uh, pizza box, Sal's Pizza Box, and building from scratch. So basically, we've been demoing for for months upon months, and we're still months away from being ready to open. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I, there is dust everywhere. We would probably have on masks if, if, we, <laughs> if the, uh, if the podcast wasn't all blurry, you know, uh, not blurry, what's for what I'm looking for? Muffled, muffled. Muffled. Yeah. yeah. The muffled's the one I'm looking for. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, we got the kitchen, the kitchen is in the back of the restaurant. None of that has been installed yet. Right now we're working on what, um, is more sort of like decorative stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. the the barn wood on the walls and even finishing up tiles on the floor, which is a requirement from the health department that where the wall meets the floor, you have you have sealed areas so that no food or contaminants can yeah. get in there. Yeah. And this was window bar, the um the dark marble, the dark um walnut is of course decorative as well. Yeah. So we're in that stage, even though um, you know, we're desperately we're urging our vendors to to chop chop and install stuff. Always always takes longer than you think, you know. Yeah. This one I'm I'm never gonna be able to wrap my head around the idea that a restaurant takes so long and so much more money than you've ever predicted. But hey, that's it yeah. wouldn't be fun if it wasn't a challenge. No, we were just talking about that, you know. Look looking back, this is gonna be the stuff that, you know. Really, really uh, greases those wheels. You know what I mean. Yeah. I think they'll remember looking back on. Oh, um, so let's chat about what Soco Bag is. So I was driving by a few months back, and I yeah. saw this 
um, place in the corner and called Soka Bag. And I was like, I don't know what a Soka Bag is. I don't know yeah. if that's a thing. Is it a thing? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but tell us what Soka Bag is and, and what you guys are doing. Yeah. Okay. So I've got to rewind a couple years pre-pandemic for this to sort of make sense, but I'll, but I'll be succinct. Um, so my wife is South Korean, but we were living in Dubai together. Um, and in 2020, when the pandemic hit, we both had corporate gigs. Both of our companies closed. So we lasted about eight months in Dubai. Dubai is a, a very expensive place to live when you don't have a salary. <laughs> we made it like eight months. Um, and we were like, all right, we got to go somewhere. But meanwhile, we had planned our futures in the Middle East. So my wife didn't have a, an actual spouse visa for the United States. So we started that process of her getting a spousal visa when the pandemic started. Um, but the whole process took 18 months. So we had either she couldn't come to America is what it boiled down to. Um, so we moved to South Korea. And of course, there's a silver lining in it that we're sitting here now. So we moved to South Korea uh, Thanksgiving Day of 2020. And I enrolled at the university, started studying the language. My wife got pregnant. Meanwhile, we're just waiting for the, the wheels of the visa to, you know, roll along Um and I started falling, you know, exploring Korea was incredible. And I was falling in love with sort of the nightlife. And um, actually, the very first time I ever visited Korea, we landed at about 3 a.m. And at 4.30 a.m., we were at our hotel, but we were jet lagged, meaning we weren't tired. So we went out. And the first place we went was a Korean fried chicken and beer sports bar. Nice. And that's it. That's where the idea, it literally likes the seed planted probably like six or seven years ago. That was way pre-pandemic. That's like 2017. But I had I loved this business model of just super crispy, salty fried chicken with very cold beer and sports on in the background. And the amazing thing about being in Korea, 4:30 in the morning, you know, you're getting all the sports that are actually like live <laughs> yeah. in the United States. Um, you know, so it'd be like 4:30 in the afternoon here, for example. Um, but that's where the idea was born. And SoCo is just, um, South Korea. it's short for South Korea. I, it, it just, just came to me right here. Yeah. 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 Great. Yeah. So SoCo short for South Korea bag is indicative of takeaway, uh, because the business model in Korea, there are places in Korea that sell tons of chicken a day. Of course, Seoul has 30 million people. So, you know, you're oh, able, wow. you're able to do high volume there. Um, unlike we'll be able to here, but there were times where I would see people lined up around corners for Korean fried chicken. And I was like, and, and they're basically walking up and just getting a bag full and like, you know, you're on your way. It's chop chop style in Korea. So we were like, Hey, like, let's, let's kind of follow that flow and go with the bag. And, um, and to be quite honest, we also looked at just doing Soko by itself, but the website wasn't available and, and there might be some trademark issues. And one of the first things we did when we actually got Soko Bag LLC and we got all of the social media accounts and the websites, the URLs, is we filed a trademark registration. Um, but just the way that like, you know, McDonald's goes to Mickey D's. I very much expect that Soko bag goes to Soko, you know, like in those. Yeah. Terms. So you'll, you'll get it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, this is kind of cool because um, some of the businesses we've had on, a few have been in in the, the startup phase. Yeah. Other ones have been in business for a long time, but it's cool because we haven't really had too many on that are in that startup phase, but we're also doing a physical location or a physical place with yeah. all of the other things that come along with that. So you're talking about the trademark stuff. You're talking about grabbing all the website handles. You're talking about 
Um, you know, what we're doing right now, as far as the construction, as far as the permitting, as far as the local town ordinances, yeah. you know, we were just looking at some of the plans you had over there on the, on the counter. It's, it's unbelievable what some places require and it, it's different everywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's exactly right. Um, so maybe just walk us through that process yeah. and what that's like. And part of what we try to do on the podcast is just talk about either hardships or things that were a struggle looking back and how you kind of got through that or or just pieces of advice that might be helpful to somebody else. Yeah. So how long do you have again? What time does the Phillies game start? <laughs> we, uh, we, we got time. We got no, time. So um, we, we've we hit hardship after hardship. <laughs> um, so the really interesting thing is like my wife and I don't have any experience in the food and beverage industry. Um, I was in business development and operations and worked for an you know, like an incredibly successful company in Dubai. And my wife did as well. She was in the shipping industry. So when we took on this project, we were sort of going through our own like midlife crisis with the pandemic, you know, having to relocate from one country to another, to a third being the USA. Was it, was it like this idea of like, what are we going to do? Yeah. I mean, we were literally like, okay, this is like our midlife crisis. Somebody just handed it to us instead yeah. of, you know, sort of going through it. Cause we had what we thought were the most secure jobs. And we, what, what was that? What were you guys doing prior to this? Yeah. So my background is photography. Um, I worked for a souvenir photography company, which, which sounds like, so what happens is if you were to go to the empire state building, when you get to the top, actually, when you walk in, somebody takes your photo on a green screen on like the ground level. And by the time you get to the top and you're exiting, they try to sell it to you for an inordinate amount of money. Like, you know, like, 50 bucks for like an eight by 10 print. Um, but that was the business I was in and it was crazy. I mean, we were doing in 19, no, in 2019, we, we did just about around $90 million, um, selling physical prints, you know? Wow. So being stationed in Dubai, you know, you know, we had a lot of tourists coming in, you had a lot of tourists from China, from Russia, from Saudi Arabia, Singapore, and everyone in the East, like Far East, they're still in even the Middle East. Um, they really love physical prints, you know. So like here in America, you can barely sell somebody a print anymore. They just want the digital copy. But actually over there, you know, like there would be times where the Saudi royal family would come and they would order boxes, you know, like $50,000 worth of prints of like their whole family vacation for a couple of weeks. So that was what I was doing. Um, I used to work for Philadelphia Magazine. I did worked a lot for the New York Times. I've shot a bunch of celebrities like Bradley Cooper and Ethan Hawke and um, uh, Georgina Chapman, who's this incredible um, fashion designer. She's the ex ex uh, wife of Harvey Weinstein. So oh. I, I had this really fun um, photography background going, but then I got this opportunity to take like a very serious corporate job and and sort of help build a, a business there, which I did. And we thought I thought it was impenetrable. I mean, I literally thought. I had the most secure job in the world based on the amount of revenue even I was helping provide the company. But um, but yeah, then sky's the limit until it's not because it was like snap of that finger and there's this thing called COVID and um, I was fired within like two weeks, like literally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair, fair play though. I mean, I was on a high Western salary and um, I couldn't do anything at that point. Like all of our sites closed. Mm. My wife was in the shipping industry. So she's a broker. If you wanted to move like 50,000 metric tons of, of grain from like Argentina to South Korea, that's what she was doing. Um, but she's given that up too to sort of help me pursue my my dream here with Soko Bag. Um, so that's like, yeah, that's part of the succinct background. And hey, what's up, Andy? 
Um, Andy is our head chicken chef. He's going to be frying. Hey. How many? How many pounds a day, Andy? We're do, we're doing three tons of chicken a day. You heard it first here. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, Andy's one of my dear friends. He actually worked. I, I he brought I brought him to Dubai. I uh, gave really? him a job in Dubai as well. Um, yeah. So, but sidetracks. Okay. But uh, yeah, when we got back here and we wanted to actually figure out if we could make this a viable business venture. Um, the first thing that I needed to do in my head and I needed to prove to my wife was that the profit margins were there and there's only, this cannot be like a paper test. Like it just doesn't work. Like you can't go, Hey, I can buy this thing of chicken for you know, 40 pounds for $50 and I can get this frying thing and I can do this. Um, I mean, that gives you an idea of like what your flat, flat, flat costs are, but to actually like cook that, you know, you need the oil and then you need the fryer and then you might need a gas increase depending on how much, you know, how many BTUs uh, the property has. We had to have, we have a, we had to have a load increase from Pico here. You know, it's like a $9,000 expense for them to increase the gas load. They shut down traffic. I'm sorry, Phoenixville. There's a big spot out there where they literally like broke up the concrete for us. And one day, and it was great too. My plumber called me and he was like, so you're the fucking asshole that made me late to every single job today. <laughs> and I said, dude, I'm so sorry. You know, uh, I mean, it was all in jest, of course. But uh, yeah, like these are the things that you never, ever would know when you do it on paper. Mm. Um, but what we did is a, a, a really good friend of mine from high school named Dave Lee. He owns a restaurant. Well, he owns a restaurant and bar now in Maniunk. Um, but the the restaurant and bar is called... Um, uh, bar john and then he owns a place called pizza john mm. where they just sell you know whole pizzas and slices occasionally but uh being that he was in the restaurant industry he was one of the first people i went to and started bouncing my idea and he was great um he was immediate to identify like food like to say hey you got to identify food costs and see if this is even profitable but he'd recommended i come into his kitchen for six months you know like rent the space like i'm a true tenant and i'm trying to make this work and, you know, see the feedback we get. So understanding the entire process of like yeah. purchasing chicken, storing chicken, prepping chicken, cooking chicken, packaging chicken. That's smart. You know what I mean? Having like a real tangible understanding for what it is. You have and to. I, I think, I think if someone doesn't have that connect to be able to do that. It's kind of some people probably fly by the seat of their pants. You know, yeah, I think and, this will work, but. And know. then it's hit or miss because, right. you know, like you need multiple things need to line up like first first and foremost people have to love your product mm -hmm. like you have to be selling something that they're going to be like talking to their friends about like oh shit i tried this today and it was amazing like you got to go there when you're when you're driving past um and then you need to brand everything appropriately right so you need the packaging to be reflective of whatever you're selling and that could be whether it's like stickers or you get a custom wax paper with your logo on it um, even the bag people are walking out with the receipts you give them can have your logo on there. I mean, with my background in sort of business development, everything, every step we take is, is scalability. It's the only thing we want to do. I mean, we are a family owned restaurant. We only have one of these, but, um, but if it goes well, you know, my plan would be open two, open three, just keep moving along. Um, so yeah, we did that. So we did six months of just cooking out of a, a friend's kitchen in Maniunk and just getting feedback from people and it was fantastic i mean we had a ton of um uh 
you know, I was limited in the capacity of what I could do there. Cause I was working in somebody else's kitchen where I couldn't, I couldn't bring in like all my own equipment or anything like that. Right. I had to work with what was given. Um, but we still were able to, we spent at least three to four months ironing out the recipe. I had a night, this is really embarrassing. I, um, uh, I went home to my wife crying like three to four months into this. And I was like, I can't nail this recipe. I, we've been working on it for three or four months. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. Um, it's so difficult. Like in Korea, you're just eating the fried chicken. You're like, this is the greatest thing on earth. And then when you try to replicate it, there's no YouTube video in the world that's accurate. Nobody's actually explaining. Yeah, you know, like people have different ideas about potato starch and what you do to make it crunchy. But anyways, yeah, three to four months in, I literally was crying one night and I was like, man, I just, it just was bugging me that I couldn't nail this. And then um, a couple of days later, Andy and I tried something different. We finally got it. And I was just, I went home and I was like, holy shit. Like we actually did it. We did it. Like we it took this long, but we got it. Um, so we even went into this venture, not knowing how to cook Korean fried chicken, <laughs> completely transparent here. Um but we carp, did carp before the horse. <laughs> we got it done. Um, so that was that was like sort of an amazing breakthrough. And then uh, one of the things I had stressed earlier, which is so important, is the the profit margins. Um, because no matter how good Korean fried chicken is, if your food costs are sixty percent, you know, um, mm -hmm. you're you're going to go broke real quick. Luckily, fried chicken is similar to like pizza. You know, if somebody were just googling like. What are the best restaurants to open based on profit margins? You'd start with something like probably falafel or and then and then pizza and then fried chicken is right there. So um, so all of these dots started to line up. Like we nailed the recipe. We knew that the we we knew that the margins were profitable because as much as we just want to be happy people living, we need to make money. You know, you have to support what you're doing. And then we um and then we got the feedback. So Feedback was incredible. We had, you know, everybody that came in, um, I would give a very succinct story about what we're doing and um, and sell them some chicken and, you know, ask them if they would leave like an honest uh, review on Google. And of course, I always, you know, said, hey, if you do five stars, I'm going to give you some free beer. But um, no, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you do whatever you can. But actually, we had like a ton of people posting photographs of the food that they were getting. Um, Andy, the guy who's who's here with me in the background, um, he was with me all six months. It was just the two of us. I was in there at point of sale, mm -hmm. like like selling. He was back there cooking chicken. And, um, you know, we both we both even bought into the as it progressed. We both bought into the concept that we could really make this work. And he's one of the owners, too. He invested in the. And we're thrilled to have them on board. Um, but investing in businesses like this is also something super critical because you can never gauge how much it costs from the start. You know, mm -hmm. you sort of have an idea like, oh, if we rent this place and the rent's three thousand a month, well, okay, I mean that's what thirty six thousand a year. Um, we just need to sell ten thousand dollars a month worth of food and we'll be fine. Yeah, um, everything's so prim and proper on paper. Yeah, you know yeah I mean? it's like it's it's just a big. It's just, it's nothing that can be like more true. It's like. Anyways, yes, yeah. So, um, so how am I going with? Am you're, I going to keep running? Dude, you're you're running. Let me let me right. just stop here for a second. Um, so there seems to be this balance between, you know, you're kind of starting this journey off. You kind of have some inklings. Maybe the chicken recipe is not going quite right, but there's a sense that you should still continue continue to push through to find that recipe. Yeah. But it's also it seems like 
when things aren't quite lining up and maybe money's being spent in certain areas, it's like this, these kind of gut punches like, oh, geez. Oh, like, yeah. And it's like, do I turn around? Do I not? Or do I continue to go? What was that like mentally for you? It's uh, that man, what do you, what do you do this for a living or something? <laughs> um, no, I mean, yeah, great, 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 great perception on everything I just said. Um, you're absolutely right. Like none of this is free. Even, even for my friend who um, was helping me out, I was still paying some rent there because, you know, I'm using all his electricity. I'm using his space. He was marketing me on his Instagram account. There's um there's a million factors that went into it. Yeah. And like halfway through, it's like, oh my God, did I just throw all this money out the window on sort of like, you know, a, a midlife crisis dream. And that's, um, I'm, I still say that every night today. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're a year from that. And I'm still like, cause if you look around and you see all the dust, you go, shit, like, when is this going to happen? Um, but, uh, but you had those moments too, where it's like, oh, wait. We got the rest. It's of working. We got well, that's it. it. The second, the second anything clicks where you know something's working, you're, you know, all of a sudden, you're, you know, you're revitalized. It's like, uh, it's just like waking up hungover and like getting that first beer in you. It's like, all right, I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> um, like the, the wave of entrepreneurship is like this, these tremendous highs and lows. You know what yeah. I mean? One day you're like on top of the world. That's Next day it's like, oh right. my gosh, look at this. Nine thousand dollars to to bust open this 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 um the sidewalk. You know what I mean? Dude. So it, exactly it's right. it's like, but I think you have to try to keep as even keel as you possibly can and all that. Yeah. Yeah, you do. And and the truth is we you know like we hit scenarios where we thought we were going to be able to fund it ourselves. And then we actually brought in more investors because everything costs more than we thought it would. And this is this weird game where like, it's like, it's not the, so every step forward, you do like a shuffle. You don't go three steps backwards. You go every step forward requires three steps to the side, you know? So you're making progress like the whole time, but you're, you know, for example, we wanted to put up this barn wood and um, we were originally just going to nail it into the studs that were obviously behind the wall. Right. So we ripped down what was there and there were no studs. So then we had to build the whole framing ourselves, <laughs> and and that's all framed by us because that's just what you do when you when you sort of right. hit these hurdles. Um, but that's happened on every single level. Like everything we've tried to do, it's been like, you know, okay, one step forward, three steps left, <laughs> one step forward. I don't like yep. saying like one step forward, three steps back right. because we are everything we do is making right. progress. Right. Um, so I'm not sure what the perfect analogy is, but. But yeah, there's there's so many times where um, I've gotten bills like out of nowhere and just been like, I can't believe it. Like, I just can't believe that what this is costing, you know, <laughs> yeah. like the trenches that you're looking at over there. Um, I think it was about 50 feet worth of trenches we had to dig, but they had to go two feet deep for all our new drains. Concrete, right? You, yeah. You concrete. Yeah. So we got a quote. It was ten thousand dollars. And then, you know, me and Andy and uh, Maya, who you met earlier. We ran over to Total Rental and they were like, well, you can rent all this stuff for like 400 a day. And we we're like, all right, it's going to be like three days. So here's what happened. We go, okay, yeah, we're going to do the trenching ourselves. But what you don't know at that stage is once you rent the equipment, you get it here, you do all the manual labor. You then have to lift up 12,000 um, pounds of concrete and get it outside. And then you got to pay somebody to take it away. So we didn't factor in the cost of like removing, you know, mm. concrete. 
And then we also didn't factor in the cost. Somebody's got to come fill it back up with cement. (laughs) And then because we're in a restaurant, once it's filled with cement, the health department has uh, like strict requirements for like food safety purposes. Then we have to fill it with this or cover it with this industrial grade epoxy, um, which is for like high foot traffic areas. And that was like a thousand dollar ticket, just the epo- just the actual like high grade epoxy that we needed. So, so these numbers, like you, it's like kind of feels like I just throw them out of nowhere. Like they just, you're like a thousand dollars for epoxy because there's one at Home Depot for fifty bucks. <laughs> but um, but that's not going to work for the health inspection, right? Yeah. So the um, one thing I wanted to ask was, you know, what's what's the the demographic? That you're going after in the restaurant business. Yeah. I feel like other businesses, if you're like a marketing company, you kind of know certain yeah. demographics or things, but with restaurants, it's kind of a little more, um, not as clear, I guess. Like yeah. we had, we had a, um, an ice cream, a small ice cream shop on from, from Medford over in Jersey. And they were t- called Peewees, shout out Peewees. And they were talking about um, basically in the ice cream world, it's like basically almost everybody is a potential customer. Sure. Do you feel that way? Or do you feel like your, your customer base is a little more niche than that? So we're unique that we have a brewery license and, um, we're basically like, we're trying to capitalize on, um, America's love of fried food, Mm. America's alcoholism and, uh, (laughs) and America's love of sports. Um, literally like our, our target audience is like, do you like sports? Do you like beer? Do you like fried chicken? Well, you're, um, you're around Philadelphia, so you're going to put a pretty good uh, demographic yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. So like the actual demographic, I mean, we we're definitely kid friendly place. Um, but, you know, my gut says over time, it'll be something in the, you know, the ages of like 18 to 45 or 50 is probably like our, you know, younger ages for more probably for takeaway uh, food, but like, you know, families with kids that want to sit down and watch a game and have fun and actually like. You know, we were, we're like the first, we didn't, I could be wrong. I mean, I mean, there are places in Phoenixville where you can watch sports, places I love that I go to, but, um, but we're a lot more engaged with the sports world than anywhere else in Phoenixville. Like we are an actual pub partner of the Philadelphia union. Um, We've looked at getting into stadiums because one of our goals is to get like, you know, in ballparks Mm. um, with just our chicken and beer stand, you know, like something sort of simple. Um, but Phoenixville itself, yeah, the demographic here is amazing. And the support here is amazing. Like even us just, just as far along as we are in this process, you know, every day I wake up to DMS on Instagram, somebody saying, Hey, we're so excited for you guys to open like any updates. And yeah, yeah, it's the same step and repeat. I say, I'm so sorry. Um, I can't give you an opening date because a it's, it's a jinx in the industry and B, we don't even know, you know, we've been building this place since May 1st, literally. And, um, you know, originally we thought Andy thought we were going to get open by July. And I was like, that's no way we'll do September. September came and we were like, all right, we could definitely do this by Halloween. And literally Halloween went to, all right, we can probably do this by Thanksgiving. And if you ask me today, I'm going to say we're open by Christmas. It's it's wild. It's wild how long things take. And when you're trying to wrangle contractors, um, again, some of the local government stuff, there's no telling when that'll turn. You know what I mean? You know, um, contractors are, are amazing that they're so clear with their timing before you hire them. And then you sign the papers and like, they forget that they said two weeks or whatever they said, you know, (laughs) like they don't remember that. Um, that said, (laughs) we love everyone we're working with, you know, wink, wink, hurry up y'all. Um, 
but uh yeah you're absolutely right like you can't you can you cannot put a time on on opening something like this because there is so much red tape like the ordinances with borough phoenixville is an incredible borough um the two guys who run it uh dave and tom who are like in control of um the actual permitting once we got this spot, they brought my wife in, like my wife and I in, and like we sat at the township. They were like, look, we just want to welcome you to Phoenixville. We told them our background. We learned a little bit about their background. I mean, I grew up in Malvern, so mm. you know, familiar with the area, but they were great. They brought us in and they basically said, look, you know, these are the steps you need to take. Um, you know, ironically, one of the steps was actually missed, which um, one of the first things you're supposed to do is contact the health department and tell them your plans. We forgot that step and we had a visit from, um, she's actually lovely, uh, Elizabeth Whalen, who's from the Chester County Health Department. But she was like, actually, that's the first thing you have to do. She's like, you got to call me. And she was right because when I went back to the township and was like, guys, you never told me to. They were like, that's our fault. You know, we should have should told you that. So for anyone out there who wants to open a restaurant, um, once you sign that lease, the very first thing you do is go to the health department. And what, what is that for? Just to really assess the, the property itself and see yeah. what pre-existing things could be there? Is that? Yeah. So, so you need to basically like, there's an actual like um, application, which needs to be completed where you state the intent of what you're trying to do. And then the health department needs to come in and actually see, they do like a preliminary walkthrough where they came, there was a shell because we're not really like, we're not building walls or anything, but we removed everything that was here previously. Um, but yeah, the health department will come in and they'll say, Hey, like, okay, you're moving your kitchen to the back of the space. You need to add a utility sink here. You're going to need a hand sink here. I mean, it's all this stuff that is so critical and you need to know this stuff before you start doing anything else. Because if you build your plans before the health department has sort of right. approved them, you know, you're going to end up chasing your tail and going backwards and, you know, removing, yeah, moving things around. Um, and all of that's a really fun process because you have to hire a certified architect and, um, you know, a certified engineer. And, um, I think our architectural plans to get them approved took about two months. So the plans, you know, to create those plans, the architect comes in, they have 3d cameras, they walk around everywhere. They get, they just basically, you know, they video the entire space so they can always look at it after the fact. Mm -hmm. Once they build your plans, you then submit them to the township. And then the township has a third party uh, company that's reviewing the plans and making sure everything is up to code. So what happens is when that third party is reviewing all the plans, you know, it'll be simple stuff like, hey, where, where are your fire extinguishers going to be? You know, what grade fire extinguishers are you going to have? Mm -hmm. Um you know, your plans, our plans accidentally showed a sprinkler system in here, which is, there is no sprinkler system. Um, there doesn't actually have to be in our case, like in Phoenixville, like we're like, we're sort of grandfathered into the existing, the existing space doors, dude. Um, he's never seen doors. It happened today. Today. <laughs> um so yeah, like there's all this stuff that you just, you know, you would just never know until you actually like jump in it and start doing it. But um, where was I going? I got sidetracked. Uh, Health department. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in general, it was just that, yeah, you, you know, there's a lot of steps you have to follow and the process takes forever. So you'll submit your plans and then they'll come back to you and say, hey, you need to change this. You need to change that. You need to do this. Um, you know, you need to make sure you're, your 20% of your budget is going to 
make the place a more ADA compliant, like more handicapped accessible mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, and every single place is different. So like that, the rules that apply to us don't apply to the rules to somebody like five blocks down. Hmm. Um, it'll all depend on like, you know, who was the last tenant? How long was it empty? When was the last time they brought it up to code? Um, in our case, this was a pizza shop for 40 years. And I don't think, I mean, we've been bringing everything up to code. It's like, like one thing after another, the electric plumbing. Um, but we intend on being here a very long time. So, you know, we had no plans of band-aiding anything, which is common practice, yeah. unfortunately. You know. The the concept of the the fried chicken, beer, and sports. Yeah. That's like a that's like a, a thing in Korea, as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's like a thing. So it wasn't like just, oh, there's one place where this was popular near us where we were staying. It's like throughout the whole country, this whole concept is, yeah. is massive. Is that right? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. Um, if you ever want to Google, one of the most famous places in Korea is called BHC chicken, or maybe the C is the chicken BHC. Um, how's your, how's your chicken compared to that chicken over there? Ours is much better. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We we've actually conquered everything. Wait, wait till everyone tries. Yeah. Everyone listening will agree. With Are they, they're trying to copy it. You know what I mean? They're trying to yeah, bring it back. Now they're trying to come copy us. <laughs> um, no, we, it's true though, but the, the chicken there is great. We, we did want to, we did make it our own. I mean, we weren't out to just copy somebody else's recipe. Right. You know, we wanted, we needed it to be ours. Um, yeah. And we got there, but yeah, in Korea, um, Korea is an amazing place. I mean, living there is amazing. Uh, learning the language is very important to living to live in Korea. It's not like Europe today where like everyone's going to speak English. So, you know, to actually live there, to work there, you have to study the language, um, but nothing's impossible. And yeah, Koreans love food and they love alcohol. Um, you know, we're still trying to find somebody that can produce us soju, but they need to produce Ooh. it in Pennsylvania, which is the truth. What, what, what is what is soju? Uh, soju is like Korean's most famous, Korea's most famous alcohol. It's like you just drink it with everything. Is like it like where, 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 where does it fall in like the? Yeah, what is it? Uh, so in China, there's another one that's very similar. Where does it come to here? It's like similar to... Uh, to like a very like it's not like an Everclear. It's like Everclear, but only like forty five percent. I mean, it's a clean, clear liquor, um, which is done in shots. Mm. Uh, I wanted to say Sambuca, except it doesn't have any of those like the flavors that Sambuca right, has, like the, the, the star anise, like that, like the licorice type of thing. Yeah, it doesn't have the licorice, but it's the same style. Like you know, you're sort of drinking it kind of in shots, and um, yeah, but it's all day. Well, in Korea, it's yeah. There's, yeah I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it can it can be drank all day long. <laughs> so let's talk about the beer side of the business here. So yeah, yeah. not only you guys are a chicken place, you're an actual licensed brewery as well. Yeah. So that was one of the um I mean, that was one of the most important parts of our concept too, because you know, it's it's um it's funny, the 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 woman from the health department even came in here and she said to me, she said, like, I really love the idea, the concept that you guys have. And she said, I'll give you some good news. She said, um, I've had a lot of restaurants fail on me. I've never had a brewery fail. <laughs> and um, it's that's that's a truth that that really happened. And it was like, yeah, it just sort of clicked. Like, that's how important selling beer is. I mean, it's an attractive, um, you know, it's just another layer of attraction to adults, you know, to bring them in. And then, of course, um, being able, I mean, you were talking to our brewer a little earlier before the show. 
being able to in-house make whatever we want um, and sort of control everything is is incredible. And we'll have a mix. We're, we're, we're doing some contract brewing um, for like an American lager, for example, stuff mm-hmm. that we expect will sell like really high volume um, that we don't have the space to produce ourselves yet. And then we're doing, you know, like we'll actually be doing, I was talking to you about the, um, the chocolate style, the chocolate Belgian beer, um, which is my favorite. Yeah. You were mentioning you'd like that one a lot. Yeah. So we're doing, you know, that's all happening in, in house in the basement with our, um, uh, do you remember the name? Oh, the claw hammer. Yes. yes the claw, the claw hammer. hammer. Yeah. So we got claw hammers running. They'll be running all day long, 24 <laughs> seven. Um, but I think actually from a business perspective, uh, you know, getting a brewery license, being able to sell alcohol, um, it changes everything. I mean, it, it, your, your, your margins of course get a lot better. There's a safety net, you know, like if you're only doing food, you know, you, you, you know, Hey, I need to sell this much food a day. Um, when you're doing alcohol, all of a sudden it's like that person that was buying, you know, $20 worth of chicken might now drink $10 worth of beer, you know, if they're sitting here for lunch. Um, so you know, from a, as a businessman, it's, it's great to be able to add on, you know, the, the ability to sell alcohol, but we also, I mean, we drink it too. Cheers. Um, Cheers. <laughs> yeah. We got, some, we got some clown shoes here, some clown shoes. What is this one? This is uh, yeah, the pumpkin this sombrero. Is, this is Shay's uh, wake up in the morning drink. <laughs> pumpkin sombrero, uh, Mexican child chocolate stout, chocolate stout with a uh, pumpkin puree. Yeah. You know, I just like I like the uh, the font here. It reminds me of like our sort of comic green, book green font. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now this is pre- this is pretty good. I actually, I mean, it, it seems it seems like a lot more on the can than it actually is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where and where are they from? Okay, they're from um, Windsor, Vermont. Yeah, root and can. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I haven't had uh, I haven't had a clown shoes in a long time. Clown shoes used to be like um, I don't know, pretty big in the, in the craft world. Okay, they, they, nice. they still are. Apparently, if they have uh, you know, they're releasing the stuff, but yeah. Um, yeah, we got a lot of layered stuff going on here. Mexican hot chocolate, and we got pumpkin puree. So, I mean, it's really a one for the times right now. We're going to fall. You know what I mean? This is a kind of the perfect drink. This is it, man. For Shay, if it's the fall, for Shay, it's every day. <laughs> we're gonna have, uh, yeah, we're gonna have, we're gonna have a lot of seasonal beers here as well. I mean, that's also one of the great things about being able to brew in house is that we can always do seasonal stuff. Yeah. So, um, what's, what's your favorite style of beer? Are you a, you a big beer guy? I'm all Belgian. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, we have. I have arguments with my cousins all the time because they all love Yingling. I think Yingling tastes like. Sh- no, Yingling's delicious, everyone. Um, but uh, I, I personally tend to to go towards Belgian beers. Uh, I, I think personally, I think Belgian beer is the best in the world. Yeah. Well, because I mean, people think like they think of it as like one beer, but the style breath in Belgium oh, yeah. is so wide. Yeah, it you, really is. You got to go to Brussels. You got to go to. Um, yeah, you got to go to Delirium. And the brewery, do you know mm. Delirium? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Brewery's off the charts. Um, yeah, yeah. I went to Brussels a long time ago and said, okay, this is it. Like, I, I love your chocolate and I love your beer, and um, I, that's it. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. the only place I'm sourcing those two you, things. You don't, for the you rest don't, you don't of like my their, life. you don't like their waffles. <laughs> I don't know if I had waffles there. Um, yeah, it was a pretty, it was a pretty crazy road trip, but uh, yeah, so. So this seems like a really good place for anybody on like any type of, um, you know, Friday, Saturday sports and, and, uh, in high season, you know what I mean? It seems like the place to be. Yeah. Tell. Yeah. We've got a lot of fun things going on. So for example, our, our partnership with the union, um, they gave us, uh, four tickets to every game next year. 
So we're going to be like raffling them off, you know, like this upcoming year in 2024. So yeah, like we're going to have events every day where we're sort of giving away tickets to different things Um, on our walls. They're not there yet, but we have, we already, everything is stored at my house until we get all the alarms and security set up here, but we have signed jerseys. So for example, we have, um, for flyers uh we have a bobby clark jersey sign we have mike schmidt for the phillies we have uh julius irving and then for the eagles we have like one jersey that has um jaws cunningham mcnab and vick um and of course we'll be adding a lot to our to our sort of memorabilia collection as we go on um the union just gave us it's actually being framed at the moment they gave us a 2022 team signed jersey so that's one of the things that'll be hanging on the wall when you come in i mean we really do embrace the sports world it's just i mean growing up in philly you know we greed we we bleed green until it's october and then we bleed red and then sixers start we we bleed blue and then before you know it we're we're bleeding orange or whatever yeah (laughs) we're seasonal with our sports but but yeah we're we're huge proponents of philly sports so uh I mean, it's fun to be able to sort of make that childhood love of sports come to come to life somehow. Yeah, let's. Um, I, I like the. I was looking at your website and I saw a lot of the the menu you guys had. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what I like again, maybe this isn't the full menu or not, but I liked how simple it seemed. Yeah, you know, you had like four or five items on there. And again, there may be some expansion in the future, but I kind of like the simplicity. Yeah, we are. We are literally. Um, did you, you nailed it and that menu is not like the final one but we are literally a chicken and beer place yeah um well like when we start we're we're just gonna have our fried chicken we were doing like some creative stuff at pizza john because we mm-hmm. had access to pizza ovens like we were doing bulgogi pizzas which were amazing but when we start here it's going to be literally chicken and you can get a different seasoning like we have um we import bamboo salt from korea which is incredible we also use what what is that what is it so bamboo salt um there's like a there's actually a doctor in korea who uh was treating cancer patients and so people that were having trouble with like high sodium intake and but still wanted like to to feel like their food tasted they wanted food that tasted good but without using salt so this doctor um, invented this method of cooking salt in bamboo, and it gets cooked 12 times. It's like this incredibly long process. It makes it very expensive, but it's it's um, it's it's salt that anybody can have who um, has restrictions on sodium. So it's really unique. I mean, I, you have to try it to understand it, and all of a sudden you'll be like, yo, that's the best salt I ever had in the world. And then to find out- Does that, it like, taste different? Is it? It yeah, it has like you know like sometimes there's like smoked this or smoked, yeah, 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 it yeah. sort of has a little little bamboo smoked flavor in it. Um, yeah, you're gonna have to try, it. but it's really good. Um, but yeah, we're not trying to you know we're trying to literally, you know, we, our menu um, when we built it was all about simplicity. It was like all right, chicken is our core thing, and then we said okay, we want to cater. Like I have an uncle who has celiac, so it's like. Uh, we know a lot of people have, you know, gluten, need gluten-free food. So we wanted to find some menu items that are gluten-free. Um, we wanted vegan options and we wanted vegetarian options. And we did all that. Some of that was as simple as just using ramen, like different types of ramen. So we have like a Korean ramen that we do with um, with gluten-free noodles. And um... You know what? So what we're doing right now is we're trying to figure yeah. out what grout goes in the tiles. It is, but do you think that's uh that's flex enough? Cool. Yeah. Run with it. You're the boss. 
<laughs> so yeah, when you do a podcast in the middle of construction, this shit happens, bro. No, no I, feel, but, I feel like a you know a semi consultant here, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that flex looks good. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we want to make sure that uh, it doesn't crack too soon. But so Andy was here all last night putting those tiles down, which is amazing. Props, dude. I told him I'm going to give him some sort of award or badge or something. I haven't figured out what yet, but we'll... what's been the hardest part of this construction process? Yeah, um, down the hood by myself. Yeah, there was a pizza hood that was enormous um, and it was chained up. You can still see a chain hanging. Um, but yeah, what I, for some reason I had to fly out of the country and Andy was here like just chopping it all down by himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, we didn't, so we when we started, you know, everyone has a different approach and everyone has a different amount of money um, when they start a business like this. We are, we were very much on the frugal side. We brought in two contractors, um, the first contractor, the 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 inexpensive contractor, quoted us two hundred and fifty thousand, um, and at the time we were looking at you know painting the ceilings, you know putting up some barn wood, removing all the stuff that was here. Uh, anyways, we the conversation like started with him saying, "Hey, like it's gonna be." We walked outside after we did the tour, and he's like, "It's gonna be two hundred fifty thousand." And I was like, "Help me understand how we got to that number. Like, how much is the ceiling gonna be?" He's like, ah, oh, the ceiling might be like eight or nine. I was like, all right, cool. All right, what are your thoughts on like removing all this stuff? Like, what does that cost? He's like, yeah, I mean, that's probably like 5,000 just to get it out of here. And then it was like, all right, what about like, you know, fixing up the basement and putting up like the new walls and stuff? He's like, yeah, you probably like another 10,000 or something. I'm like, all right, we got a gap here of like 225,000 <laughs> that I'm missing. This really happened. And uh, I love that guy because he's done a lot of work in my home. But we just, we, we, we decided we were going to do it ourselves and he was the least expensive. Um, so when contractors come in, I mean, you know, we've got every single little bit over here, little knickknack that they already own, you know, but you think it, we're saving money by doing it ourselves, but it's not like we're saving an extraordinary. Amount. So who is it? It's it's you. And then I saw some contractors here earlier. Yeah. Are those the, just like hired for the day kind of things. Or yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Those are, those two guys are uh, my uncles. They've been working for my uncle, like on like doing like uh carpentry projects for my uncle for like 40 years. So we use friend and family referrals. So for example, because this window bar, which they were installing, you know, human beings are going to be sitting at it. But we didn't want to do it ourselves. Like we assume people might get drunk, people might sit on it. So for stuff like that, we outsource to professionals. Um, you know, like building, framing the basement, we did ourselves. You know, and uh, the tiles we did ourselves, um, the bathrooms we did ourselves. We've done everything ourselves except for like, like major stuff, and particularly where people are going to be sitting because we can't risk. You know, you can't sort of risk somebody even if they're drunk, jumping up on the bar and having a tip over. Right. Know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so those are, those are guys that are just on sort of like a daily rate um, that applies to the electricians. Like we have these amazing electricians. They're on a daily rate. We've got amazing plumbers in Phoenixville. Um, that's not daily. That's sort of based on project, you know, and, and it gets expensive in this case, you know, I talked to you about, we needed a load increase for all of our fryers and that means that we need bigger gas lines to run the gas. And um, we, we had to, we have to install two inch pipelines for all of our gas. 
and this stuff is not cheap, you know? And uh, so, yeah, it all adds up. Like every little step of it, you just go, oh man. So you're, you're kind of stepping in the role of like a, you know, a general contractor, right? And you're kind of organizing yeah, all these other people who are doing these jobs. But I mean, it's, uh, what's that like from a, um, from a mental standpoint, you're juggling a lot of things. You know what I mean? How does that, how does that get? And how do you, how do you get through that? Yeah. What's the, what's the best way? It's, it's been the absolute most challenging thing. Um, I get up at 6am every morning and, and I spend about an hour and a half or two hours just walking little jog. Um, it's the only time that I have like little peace and clarity in my mind because the second like eight, nine o'clock hits and my phone's ringing, it's a clusterfuck every single day. <laughs> um, it is incredibly difficult to balance. Like tomorrow morning at 8.15, I've got two electricians coming. At 9.30, I've got the borough coming um, with their inspector. We're doing, they're doing like a preliminary inspection because I, I had showed you that sheet of paper that says you need like rough inspections and then you need final inspections. It's very hard to like make sense of any of that. Um, but that's where the borough has been amazing. When I've called them and said, hey, like my very first time doing this, I have no idea what this means. They say, hey, we're going to come out. We're going to help you. We're going to walk you through it. Um, but the coordination is is crazy. There's so much happening at the same time. So I definitely, you know, I could certainly value the price of hiring a general contractor. Like, I mean, I, there's a reason you do it because you'll sleep at night, you know, mm -hmm. and you won't have to make the phone calls when somebody doesn't show up and you're like, hey, you said you're going to be here today. And like, you're not here. Um but that said, you know, you, you sort of give what you get. I mean, I feel like um, I've, I've been lucky enough that the universe is sort of conspiring on my behalf. I mean, I, I um, have a lot of love for everybody that works for me. I'm so appreciative, like genuinely appreciative of everybody that puts effort into this project. And there's been dozens so far. So whether it's the guy coming in to paint the ceiling or the guy that did the logos outside, um, you know, I'm just so grateful. And I think it carries over because it's true. And then people give me a little extra, you know, I mean, I feel like they're, they're, you know, no, there's been nothing that's been really disappointing up until this point. There hasn't been, it's been great. The only thing is the timing of like the major stuff, like the installation of an Ansel hood. Um, you know, you put a deposit on this, this $25,000 piece of equipment like six months ago, but they can't schedule you until the permits approved. Hmm. And then, you know, the second the permits approved, you're calling within like five minutes. You're like, guys, yeah. it's approved. <laughs> it, and, it's like a constant juggle of and, like, like yeah. these pieces of what's next. What where, yeah. where are we at in the timeline of this thing? Yeah. Where's this thing plug in? I'm still checking on these three permits over here. When yeah. do those file in? It's so it's, you, yeah, you literally just have to, you know, basically you have to come up, you have to figure out like an analogy in your brain. And it's like, Hey, if I keep digging down, like eventually I'm going to get to the other side of the earth. Um, okay. That's like very broad, but like, that's what I tell myself. You're moving in one direction, no matter whether it feels like you're going fast or slow. If you continue to dig, you know, you are going to get there. And, um, and that's every day. It's like, some days are really, really tough. You know, some days are very expensive. And then there's just like some days where you just win and you're like, oh my God, like everyone showed up, this job got done. These beautiful lights, like we had these amazing electricians came in. They did all 18 of the lights in this room and like, like 10 hours, which is great because in the process of doing all these lights, they had to clean up all of the, the electric, like the very unsafe um, 
loose electric wires that hang probably above every single drop ceiling in Phoenixville. Um, <laughs> you know, but that's obviously that's a problem and you need to, you know, you need to make sure your place is safe and uh, you can't have open wires. Um, but yeah, if you ever, if you ever lift your head up into a drop ceiling in a restaurant, you might be very surprised what you see. In our case, we're cleaning it all up. I mean, like literally every single piece of old electric, like while they were doing these, we, we had them cutting off all the old lines and capping everything. And so, um, we're not, we don't bandaid. Like that's the one thing where we don't cut any expenses. I, like I, like we could easily, you know, maybe just shove those wires back up there and like hope nobody looks. Um, but that's not the right way to do it. And we want to be here forever. And it's like, we want to, we want to own this place. We want to own it from, um, I mean, not just physically own it, but we want to like, we know every single thing that's going on here and we want everything to be done right. So that once we do get open, you know, like there's nothing that's ever going to stop us. Yeah. So you're in this mode right now of, you know, the construction process of the building process. And then eventually once you guys open, you'll try to transition into like this, owner aspect of really running the day-to-day -day i can't stay. wait for those headaches it's yeah. gonna be <laughs> you know what i mean it, oh it's, yeah it's wild it's like we're, you're so running towards that but at the same time it's like you know probably lesser but still headaches maybe, maybe yeah. not you know somewhere in the same ballpark maybe but it's um it's it's different i think yeah it's like things tangibly be different you've got to compartmentalize all of these things so for example like i know that in a month from now I've got this incredible task of staffing, you know, um, but now's not the right time to do it, you know, and the, it's one of those things where like, I sort of know in my brain that all of these operational, what's the right word? You know, I mean, all of the sort of like operational adventures we're going to, we're going to go through. It's going to take another six months once we get doors open before I could probably comfortably sit back and think, okay, this thing is like sort of running on its own. How, how are you feeling about the um, the hiring part? So, you know, there's a, uh, it's funny, there's a Korean fried chicken place in King of Prussia that uses um, AI and they use robots to fry chicken. Have you heard of this place? No. It's... Yeah, it's funny. It's in, it's brand new in King of Prussia. It's actually a chain in Korea too. Um, but somebody else had asked me a similar question. And I said, we're only going to hire humans. We We live in, my wife and I live in Phoenixville. We want to hire people from Phoenixville. We want to give back to this community as much as possible. Um, staffing's really tricky. I've talked to a lot of friends who own restaurants. Everybody has a different approach when it comes to sort of a salary wage, tips. Are they pooled? Are they this? Are they that? Um, and just different ways to incentivize mm -hmm. people. You know, in our case, like I'm going to be here seven days a week. So are most of the, some of the owners. So you know, we are a tight knit family and yeah, we want to hire people that, that want to be a part of it. And, um, you know, at the same time, you have to incentivize everybody, you know, like everybody needs to know if the, if you want them to stick around, if you want retention, everybody needs to know that they have a chance of, uh, of growing. So that's really important to us. And that's where number two location, number three location and scalability comes in. Um, because if my only goal was to have one restaurant, then everybody that worked here I would have no chance of, of being a manager, right? You know, one day or whatever it is. I mean, in our case, we literally want to be able to franchise to the point where people who start with us early can just sort of be on this journey. Um, much easier said than done, you know, but mm -hmm. like the vision's there. We started with it. 
we registered our trademark before we did anything because we knew we wanted the franchise. I mean, I saw, you know, I saw the model in Korea that was so successful, you know, they have hundreds and hundreds of these places. So I thought there's no reason we can't do this in the U S um, but yeah, staffing's amazing. I mean, I'm looking forward to getting some great people in here and, you know, uh, hopefully retention is good, you know? <laughs> no, that's, that's cool. You mentioned that. I, one of my last questions was about vision and kind of what you wanted for the future of, yeah. of Soka Bag. And it seems yeah. like you kind of have a pretty, you know, well-baked idea in your head of, of yeah. what that looks like. Yeah. So in my mind, it's, um, it's three locations and in, in the next three years, um, and hopefully 10 locations, uh, in five or six years. We've, we've, we've worked with, um, I mean, it was one of the earlier things I started exploring was working with actual like companies that help businesses franchise. Um, we've held a bunch of meetings, have a lot, have had a lot of interest from, from outside investors and seeing ways they could, they could help facilitate that. We're not there yet. You know, like we'd be silly to, to open a second one of these before we got a first one going. And what, but, what's your, what's your um, outlook there? So we, we chatted before this, we chatted during this podcast a little bit about, um, you know, some of the internal growth that you so much like, you like the the family business that, yeah. you know what I mean? Even yeah. as we talk about your, your future employees is absolutely wanting them to be, you know, managers one day. Um, so, you know, and obviously that's a, a business decision that has to be made at some point is if we do want to do this thing, which way do we want to do it? Do we want to kind of have that internal and kind of move or do we want to have outside capital and outside people come in and, yeah. and do that? Yeah. Um, but what, where are you at right now as far as that? Yeah. I might be too far out in the future, but. No, no, no. I mean, I've thought about it a million times. Um, you know, the great thing is at the moment, like we have, we've had, I think five investors uh, to date in Soko Bag, um, you know, somewhat significant more percents than others. Uh, but the point is that like, I couldn't do it by myself, you know? I mean, we still have sort of, my wife and I um, have put all of our sort of savings into this. And we said, okay, like this has got to succeed. Um, and it will just because we have that sort of mentality. Mm -hmm. But, you know, somebody like, like if we can, once one restaurant is successful and you have, you know, you have a year or two of P&Ls, um, it's a lot easier to raise capital. You know, like mm -hmm. right now it's hard to raise capital. Although, you know, the actual, this is an interesting story. The owner of the building, um, her son just yesterday invested in Soko Bag. Um, he's been so excited about like watching the transformation that we've been doing and like listening to me talk about everything that he was like, how do I get some skin in this? You know? Um, and we love it. I mean, we love that he also, you know, his dad started Sal's pizza box and, um, and now he wanted to to sort right. of be a part of Soko Bag and still have memories here because he grew up working here when he was a kid. Um, That's pretty cool. Yeah. So we've had like really fun stories, but but the truth is, when you want to when you want to scale, um, on on a level where you go national, um, first of all, the the actual like the the law, attorney fees for franchise papers tend to be around like one hundred thirty thousand US. So you have to basically write you know, every, every single U S state needs its own code, you know, like its own set of documents. Like this is what the franchise would look like in Hawaii. This is Alaska. Mm. This is Tennessee. This is, it goes on and on. So I have friends that are franchised and um, yeah. So you need a huge amount of money just for the attorney fees. Um, but then there are actually conventions every year where small businesses like myself buy a booth, you know, once they're prepared to franchise 
and they go and they basically set up a stand and they're just selling. You're selling. You're selling the restaurant. Um, so the mindset is two things. I mean, one is we love at the moment that anybody who's invested in this business, and even if it's just one percent that they own, um, you know, they're family. Like to me, at least, they may not technically be family, but there's somebody I right. know and trust and love. Um, when you do, when you do make that switch and you decide to go sort of with corporate um, investors, the ball game changes. You know, um, it's not as simple as like, hey, let's have like a meeting this month. It's like, hey, I got to start. I mean, we do it anyways, but you know, you have to identify like, if you're going to run a successful business, you need a great bookkeeper, you need great accountants, you need great reporting, you need data on everything. Like data is the only way you're going to know what's making money or where you can improve cut costs. We are super data heavy, um, you know, and, uh, and that's, you know, we're, we're lucky that our, in some ways I'm lucky that my background isn't in a restaurant because I'm coming in like fresh outside eyes. the box. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we'll be able to pull in all of my sort of experiences with, with, you know, different, you, you mentioned CRM or and stuff, right? Andy is a, uh, he's a master at um Notion and like Monday and all these different mm. like online platforms where you can just store or track data. Um, but that stuff is crucial for us. I mean, we will, in that sense, this business is run as it's run like a fortune 500 company, you know, down to every single receipt, like nothing is taken for granted. Um, you know, I wrote off these beers that we're drinking <laughs> truly. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it's, it's true. I mean, there, there's so many things that I think the difference between a successful and unsuccessful business literally could be, you know, um, your accounting practice. You know what I mean? Absolutely. How how it's being accounted, what 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 deductions are you getting? What what's being expensed? Yeah. What can you expense? What are you allowed to do? Yeah. If you're not taking advantage of all those things, yeah. that could be the margin, especially in the restaurant, especially in the restaurant industry. Yeah, 100%. It's a super small margin business generally. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you, you lose if you miss. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people coming into it probably don't have that sort of background or that idea that how important the accounting is, you know. Yeah. Um you know, that said, <laughs> look at all the stuff we've had to buy. Um, you know, we we spend and spend. I've made so many trips to Lowe's. It's almost like I go to Lowe's and it's like I like a morning trip. And then there's like an evening trip. And one of them, I'm like returning stuff we didn't need. And then the other one, I'm like buying new stuff. Um, yeah, but it's so easy to spend money in this business. Like, I, I, I want to say that we've... Um, like at the second we're sitting here, we probably put like a hundred thousand into renovating this space, and we're still, you know, another hundred thousand away from opening. Um, and you you, know, you don't always know where that money is going to come from. I mean, it's not as simple as like, hey, we've got five hundred thousand in the bank, we can do whatever we want. I do know, like, I mean, I do have backup plans for everything. I know that I can leverage credit and all sorts of stuff if I need to. But you also have to be, you know, very conscious about um, saving money too. So, what's that? The so that mentality there of having this backup plan, but also, I mean, th there is some type of mental pressure there too. Of you know, yeah. I don't want to overextend myself, and it kind of just lives in your brain for. It's you know, hard. It's horrible. It's an absolute nightmare. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. You know what I mean. And so it's like, how do you? What's your process for, um, you know, the day to day because. You have to address it. You kind of be like, hey, I got to be cognizant of these things of how we're spending. Yeah. But at the same time, you also have to, 
you can't get paralyzed and you still have to keep moving forward yeah. in what you're doing. You still have to spend more, you know what I yeah. mean? So it's this, it's a, it's a weird game. It really yeah. is. It and takes, it takes some, uh, some, some gusto to kind of push through. Yeah. We kind of like, we go with, okay, like, is this purchase? So there's, we have like a little ranking scale. The first, the first to scale is the no brainer purchase. It goes, does this make you money? Right. Um, but that purchase, for example, would be like if we contracted 10 kegs of, you know, lager. Well, we know for fact this is going to turn into money. And then, so that's a no-brainer. We just spend it. Um, but the other situations which are more sort of like decorative, where you look at, I mean, that's $3,000 worth of barnwood. It makes me cringe when I think about it. Um, you know, there are way, you know, it's one of those things where like, do you need it? And it's like, yeah, we want to we want to distinguish ourselves from other places. You know, I also looked around Phoenixville and like we don't we didn't want to replicate like we didn't want to do something that somebody else already has done exactly, right. even though it's hard to avoid at times because there's a lot of similarities. And but, you're um, inspired by, you know, you know, it's yeah. So you but you but you do want to make sure like, hey, you don't like accidentally copy exactly what Stable 12 did, for example. I mean, sure. I, love, I go there all the time. So um so you have to make these like decisions, which are sort of like, you know, cosmetic and you have to, and that's the hardest one because cosmetically there's so much you could do. Like there are the most amazing bar stools that are $400 a piece. And then there's Uline that has these pretty good bar stools that are $55 a piece. <laughs> so um, in our case, we're going to start with a Uline. Um and once there's some once there's some cash flow or revenue, if it's if it's necessary, we'll upgrade. So you have yeah. to find that balance of like what is actually going to get the doors open. People are still going to be happy to be here that you you know, but you don't need to like throw your whole budget at. Yeah, I I had a, I had a podcast the other day with um a woman who's opening her second spa, and it's a really downtown like Main Street kind of thing, and she was describing her process for buying massage tables okay. where they have their spa and it's like the differential of thickness of the table if you, huge. if you get the thinner one it's like x amount but if you get like an extra two inches it's like a thousand dollars more yeah and it's like it. well it's like you know making those decisions it's like spending it a thousand dollars in the business world yeah is it's just like an everyday thing you know what i mean it's just like this which I can see for people who are embarking on new journeys, it's like, whoa, you know what I mean? Like there, there's a, there's a rent payment for my home, you know, or yeah. something. There, yeah. there it goes. But it's like, um, will that come back? Like you're saying, you have this tiered system of, you know, what's immediately making us money. Yeah. And secondarily, what's more cosmetic or what should we spend less on now, but have a plan to migrate to yeah. something else in the future? 100%. And you have to have that plan. Um, you know, if you, if that woman knows that the two inch table is going to somehow bring her more money, you know, you probably figure out a way to justify it, you know? Right. But, um, but if not, Hey, wait till the cash is coming in and, uh, and go from there. Like if I were advising anybody who was trying to get into this, I, I would say, you know, one thing is like, come hang out with me cause I'm an open book <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you everything. Um, but it's, it's there's there's an illusion that that um you know it's easy you you sort of think okay like you got a good product you can create a great atmosphere it won't be hard to hire like good people um all of that's true to an extent like five percent extent 
<laughs> it's so difficult. Um, but you would never also steer somebody away from it. like um, this has been so I'm 44, you know, like this is it's probably the most exciting thing that I've ever done. In my life. It's also given me the most stress. I also have the most to lose. Mm. Like, like everything is, is, is on the line here. Um, and that's a scary feeling when you have a kid, you know, I guess, I guess if you were doing this in, you know, in your twenties or whatever, with less responsibility, it'd be a little easier to sort of digest it. Talk about that risk aspect for a second, because there's, you know, um, people have different propensities to take on risk. But inevitably, when I have these conversations with business owners or just people in general, they tend to say that some of the things where they've taken more risk or where they've suffered to some extent, those have been the most meaningful portions of yeah. you know things they've done. But looking back, yeah. those are the most meaningful things, whether that's starting a business, being under extreme stress, whether that's you know taking a leap of faith on, on some random yeah. idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So has that been true? For, Every for single thing you said is true. I mean, this has been a leap of faith on an idea and- um you know, I do have, uh, I mean, I really do feel like the universe has sort of conspired on my behalf. I mean, when the pandemic hit and I had this like six figure salary job, it was like, holy shit, the world, I just got fired. I'm living in Dubai. My wife and I just paid 40,000 for one year rent. It was like, it was like the world was like, we felt like it was all crashing down on us. Um, but here it is like the silver lining of life, you know, like Three years after the pandemic and having lived in Korea and we got a son built, uh, born and now we're like building our dream business. It's like, holy shit, this is happening. It's magical. And, um, you know, to your to your point about like assessing the risks and the financials and everything, um, you know, my my belief in general in life is that if you love what you're doing, like you're going to make it. Because there actually is no alternative. Like the only the only way this restaurant Soko bag would not be successful is if I give up. Like if I personally give up, you know, I go, hey, we ran out of money. I give up. I throw in the towel. Or I mean, literally, that's it. That's the only way a business doesn't work is when somebody gives up. Um, so if you keep that in mind, you know, there's no obstacle that you I mean, it sounds like I don't want to make it sound easy, but like I've had to raise capital. Um, I've gone through friends, I've gone through family, I put it, um, you know, I've got a 15 page, um, pitch deck together. And then I've had, you know, 30 hour long zoom calls or in-person meetings with people to tell them my idea and tell them my vision. And, um, you know, a lot of people just immediately jumped on board. Some people were, were like, Hey, you know, I personally don't have the money to support it, but I'm here to help you however I can. Um, and I've kept that in family too. And I also know that there's a lot of platforms to raise money that are outside your, your network. You know, like there's a company called Mainvest where mm, yep. anybody can just go on and like, you just fill in the, you know, you just fill in the lines. I'm, I'm this, I'm doing this. I want to raise this much. And this is the return in the seven years. And um, I like that too. It's not, I mean, it's not for us, at least not yet, you know, like, we want to reward the people who have taken, you know, the risk with us, um, you know, the few people who have invested, but, um, yeah, I think, um, what, what's, what's, what's the part you're most excited for? Oh, like grand opening maybe. Yeah. Um, now, you know what, do you have, do you have a kid? Do you have kids? Not yet. All right. So this is the fun thing that happens in life. Like eventually when you get old enough that you feel like you can, um, you can leave something to somebody 
it's really amazing. It's this amazing feeling that you never have in your twenties and thirties. And only when you have kids, do you actually go, Hey, there is something called like generational wealth, um, where, where you're going to be able to pass something down to somebody. And I just love the idea of, um, of hopefully being able to give my kid a little more support system than I had. I mean, I never had, I didn't have, I'd never met my father. So my mother was amazing. Um, you know, single mother raising, uh, a very obnoxious kid. I'm sure we all are. Right. But, um, but yeah, like most of the things I do today are sort of, I, they're sort of all for my son. I mean, I'm, I may, I'm lucky that like, this is my vision and I love watching this dream come together, but long-term, you know, I just want to be able to, you know, what motivates me is being able to hand something down, at least, at least give an option, you know? Maybe the kid will hate restaurants and, <laughs> you know, whatever. Okay, I'm fine. It's no, all good. It turns into a pizza spot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, like, I don't even like chicken. I'm vegetarian. <laughs> like, yeah. Or we um, so, Lee, let's go back into the menu. I want to I hit some of the menu items just so people who are listening have an idea for something to tempt the palate. You know what I mean? You so you got, your, you got your KFC John. Is that the, the, the that's the main one yeah. of the main, main guys, right? Well, the funny thing is that's actually like a secret menu thing. Eventually, oh, really? But, but it's on our website right now because we haven't updated it. Oh. But, <laughs> hey, now you know if you're listening to the podcast. Um, yeah. our So we have a sandwich. Um, the actual like chicken breast is going to be like 12 inches wide. 12 inches le- in length. Maybe it's like six or seven inches wide. And it's super thick. It feeds three people. Mm. Um, but that's sort of like, we're, it probably won't be an everyday thing. Like it'll be a special thing for a couple of folks who like know about it. Sure. Occasionally want it. Um, you know, our main staple is actually buying like three different sizes of chicken. So we have like a quarter pound, a half pound, a full pound. And you can get that like with bamboo salt, with aged white cheddar, which is my personal favorite. We have a uh, gochujang sauce, which is like, a, it's like tossed in like a Korean, a Korean sort of dipping sauce. Um we have these amazing dumplings, which come with like a uh, panko on them. Oh, it's nice. Like, oh, yeah. Charts. Um, we've got a couple salads. Um, it was, I mean, it's, it's strategic. We're right across from a hospital. We'd be stupid businessmen if, I mean, <laughs> if we didn't say, hey, what do we need to do to to market to the hospital? You know? Yeah. So we have salad options. We have ramen options, Ed mentioned. We have vegan. We have um, gluten-free. We have a... Uh, fire chicken challenge which is Ooh. it's the hottest ramen on earth it's a korean ramen um somehow my wife just downs it i i can't i can't do more than a spoonful and i'm just like i give up you know i throw yeah. in the towel but we're gonna do that too which is really fun um and then we have a we have a uh it's like a we call it a case law but it's a korean coleslaw which is just like a good side um for for fried chicken we also have french fries uh yeah, that's that's like our main stuff. I don't think I'm missing anything. It's not a big food menu. And that's the thing. Like we, oh, I like we, we don't want to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you come here for chicken. You don't come here for like Well, know. it's like, you know, it's like a paradox of choice thing. You know what I mean? People go in and like, oh, what should I get? And it's like, yeah. It's like going to a diner and it's like, dude, you got every fucking option in the world. Well, from a from a business standpoint, you know, like first of all, if you go into a diner and you think anything's going to be, you know, I don't I don't know the diner. So I shouldn't say it. Let me word it differently. I mean, you're you're a human being and you walk into a restaurant and you look at their menu and they've got you know 50 items right some some diners have more and you know that like they have to source all this stuff and they have to source it daily and you can easily say to yourself like all right like is this 
probably frozen or is it, what is it? Of course it's frozen because you can't, the ingredients you need to make 50 different recipes, um, you know, you could never do that on a daily basis fresh. Yeah. Um, you know, in our case, we're looking at partnering with, um, with local chicken farms I and mean, we've got a whole bunch of things happening, but yeah, we wanted a small menu where we could very carefully craft the food. Like, just like you do craft beers, like, we want really unique food. We want local sources. Um, and uh, yeah, we don't want to be a jack of all trades. Like we just want to be like, when you're dying for that chicken sandwich or you want some of that fried chicken, you just come to Soko Bay. You don't have to worry about anything else. Um, I, I personally love restaurants that have small menus. Like me too. that's like my favorite thing on there. Yeah. Someone told me about like uh, in Italy, it's like sometimes they don't even have a menu. You just walk in and you just eat what they're serving. I'm like, I'm like, that's great. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I would love that. Fantastic. It, the worst is you have like three or four things that all look good and you're trying to decide and you get one and it's like, you're kind of okay with it, but then you're like, oh, yeah. maybe I should have gotten the other one. Yeah. You know, it's Dude, just, you're going to love this place once it's over. I know I am. I, I told you, I was like at this light, like um <laughs> three months ago <laughs> and I was like, yeah, what is this spot? Yeah. And we, we've been on a huge, um, fried chicken cake recently not korean fried chicken but yeah, like, yeah. you know just like nashville hot nashville hot sandwiches you yeah. know what i mean mm. i'm all about that like the, the slaw with the pickle and you know it's man it's different it just hits the i t- love that chicken hot. chicken done right just hits and i'm that's why i'm so excited for it i can't especially the, the crisp the really crispy stuff oh i can't wait i hate when i get a chicken sandwich and it's like you know it's kind of like soft yeah you know what i mean yeah we, just, don't, we don't we don't go down that road <laughs> our chicken is i mean yeah look, uh it's gonna have to speak for itself but we've um you know we're we, we literally like came up with a recipe that like you can air fry it the next day and it's like holy still slamming right um actually that was part of the recipe problem i mean we we were nailing it i talked to telling you it was taking three or four months we had nailed the first bite pretty early on but you know, I wanted to find something that the second day was just as good. And I knew that could happen because that's how it is in Korea. Like it stays mm. crispy. Um, and that's done with a lot of potato starch and then the actual way that you integrate the potato starch. But yeah, man. Um, yeah, you're going to love it. You're going to you're gonna no, have a lot of fun. I, I, I am freaking pumped. So what, what what is the biggest lesson, let's say, that you've learned from beginning this process from like idea yeah. inception yeah. up to right now? So I've had a lot of friends who like, like I I got a buddy who owns three restaurants in Conshohawk and he's been pretty instrumental in helping me sort of stay grounded and not, you know, go crazy for lack of jumping off a bridge. Um, And I had a buddy, one of my buddies, very first buddies who invested in this business who actually owns three restaurants, but they're in Virginia. So um, the biggest experience was, was, you know, so my buddy in Virginia had one price. He thought, he thought I could build this restaurant for 90,000. And my buddy in Concha Hawkins said guaranteed minimum is a quarter million, but you can, you can, you know, you might, you might spend 400,000 building this. And um, I took both of these people who I love and respect, who both are own very successful restaurants. And I thought, well, one of them's got to be right. <laughs> and I was hoping it was the 90,000. I, <laughs> I was very wrong. Um, so the biggest learning experience with this has been, you know, everybody says it like restaurants are, um, they always go over budget. They're always delayed. Um, I, you know, I could, I would have, if you would have, if we would have had this interview six months ago, I would have been standing here saying, I'm going to be the one that does it. I'm going to be the one that's not delayed because I'm so meticulous and I'm so on top of things. I also believe early bird gets the worm. I mean, I get up at 6 a.m. for a reason every day and I work those, you know, 
even if I'm like out walking, I'm still doing work. Right. You know, like I'm getting like things are happening and um it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in this industry. There is absolutely no way to stay on budget and on schedule, which I I can't believe it. But um <laughs> Yeah, but here we are, man. We've been here like five, six months, and like you still can't, you still can't sit at a bar. Um, two weeks from now, you'll be able to. Yeah, we're we're close, yeah. but but uh, yeah, I think um, yeah, I mean, but it's amazing. Anytime you do something that you love in life and you put your heart into it, like the rewards there, you know. I mean, it doesn't have to be monetary. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it should be, but at some point. Yeah. But. Uh, just even seeing the lights on, like we have, we, we got outdoor lights that we can set them for like during the Eagles games, mm-hmm. I put on i I'll show you my, my, my app. Um, during the Eagles games, we have like a hue set for, for Eagles green. And then during the Phillies games, we have like a hue set for, so this is, so that was, it That's says the, like, said the Phillips hue. Yeah. Outside Soco. So then you got Phillies, Eagles. And of course we'll, we'll add the Sixers and Flyers went right. And the union went yeah. right. I mean, this little stuff is like kid stuff, but I love it. It's like, make it so fun to me that like, you know, like you can drive past here. And, 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 that, and that's part of the so freedom fun. too. You know, it's kind of like you were, you own as, as opposed to the corporate world to, yeah. to now, it's like you have that freedom to kind of yeah. tweak and play with those little things that you want to play with. It's amazing when like, well, we talked about it. Uh, we would love to have you. Um, well, how did my cousin phrase it? What did he say? Oh, like a, like a guest tap. Yeah. Kind of yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let you do like a guest, a guest brew here because you have, yeah. you have experience with do it. a collaboration with the pod. You know what I mean? Dude, 100%. So it can be like the leverage and beverage. Yeah, like, um, yeah, literally you can come in here, craft your own beer, and we can sell it for a month and rock out. And like, we don't have to get permission to do it because we own the place. Right. Andy was saying to me one day, we were talking about building out the basement. And he's like, if you put this little, this little like shelf here, people are going to come down and sit on it all the time. And I was like, we can fire them <laughs> like we don't have to like complain to a manager and be like so and so keeps doing this i was like dude we can literally like just set the boundaries and like if people aren't interested <laughs> then they go work somewhere else right this is the amazing part about uh, you know owning the business versus like working yeah. for a corporation um when i was a photographer i always would tell people like aspiring photographers you have to be 51% businessman and 49% artist and um, I think it has, I think that 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 ratio is even more important in the restaurant industry where, you know, you need to be creative. We need to get people in the doors. We need to come up with clever marketing and slogans, taglines, all that stuff. But, um, you know, but but the business aspect of like, you know, from the very beginning, keeping track of every single expense and mm-hmm. every single receipt, um, you know, knowing what you're paying for, because it just evaporates. Like one day you'll have 90,000 in the account and a month later it'll be down to 7,000 and you'll be like, what did I, what did I do? What did I buy? What did I buy? <laughs> I, Barnwood. <laughs> Barnwood? Yeah. Like seriously, like this happens. Yeah. Um, and again, I don't say that to just, I, I, you know, I would, I would encourage anybody who's passionate about opening a restaurant to do it. Like, why not? I mean, if the product's good, like let the world. I think that's the biggest thing. I think I think the the product has to come first. I think people, yeah. when they think about food and beverage generally, it's like they like the idea because everyone has to consume food and beverage. But at the end of the day, it really comes back to yeah. well, well, is it a differentiator enough? Is the food or beverage Absolutely. that good yeah. to be that thing that people will want to get multiple times a month, if not more? You yeah. know what I mean? Is 100%. it is it an un 
is it is it so sticky of a product that they can't keep it off out of their hands? Yeah. You know? Yeah, and it has to be. And yeah. that's where you need the proof of concept to make sure people yeah. love whatever you're selling. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I run that exact same sort of analogy with like hotels. Cause I always say to myself, like, if I had enough money, what would I invest in? And I'd be like, all right, well, you know, hotels are never gonna go out of business, right? Like people always have to travel, they always need someone to stay. But how do you make how do you differentiate a hotel? Like now, if you if you know if you travel to LA. You probably have like 500 choices in hotels. So like, where are you going to go? But it's the same thing that, that applies to restaurants because mm -hmm. you also have 500 places you can go eat dinner. Right. Um, but my ultimate dream is to own parking lots. I think that's the the most lucrative <laughs> fucking business on earth. I don't know how people, you, know, you probably had to be like mafia into it from like early. Like, yeah. yeah, put a slab down and just- uh parking lots dude that is like the one like it's on my to-do list but like hell, not that much. no i'm, I'm not with you I, I thought about that too man it's, it's like seems like a golden road yeah like oh, like and imagine if you have like multi-floored parking lot <laughs> like multi, like, yeah no health inspectors yeah uh yeah um, i love the health department by the way they are great they chester, <laughs> chester county they're really amazing they're so helpful um and everything that they're actually asking you to do is super legitimate because you would never risk making somebody sick, you know, mm -hmm. like there are, everything's in place for a re for a really good reason. Um, it's expensive. It's not cheap, but, but it's all there for a reason. And I'm, I'm all, I'm, we're so supportive of, of not, of like compliance with that stuff. Cause you don't ever want to risk other people's health. In fact, you can't like, it's just yeah. not, you're not, nobody can play God and um, think you can get away with things. I mean, I've been in restaurants where people cut corners and it's like, ah, oh, it makes me sick. So yeah. yeah, we don't do that, but <laughs> yeah, dude, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm so excited for this. I, I really am. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll be here day one, whenever the grand openings announced we'll soft be here. opening, you're coming, brother. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, last part here is we have a, a quick question round at the end. So we kind of just go yeah. through a quick questions, get your thoughts on it. Yeah. So, um, what, what's the coolest thing that you've seen lately? could be anything. could be, uh, in the food restaurant business could be, you know, anything really. Okay. Um, <laughs> What is the coolest thing I've seen lately? Um, I'm trying to think of like different devices. <laughs> you know, I'm so goofy, but like, I love this back scratcher that my wife has that like, of course, everyone knows what these are, but uh, the ones that like expand, but they're only like six inches long, but they expand like two feet. I don't know. That makes me really happy that somebody invented that. Is that, is that a daily thing for you? I, well, I saw it this morning. So yeah. it's like fresh <laughs> on my mind. I was like, when I saw my son with it, I was like, God, that is such great invention. Does he, does he use it? Yeah, 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 yeah. He he, he literally <laughs> just goes around. I mean, I taught him how to use it before. Um, I mean, I, I, maybe that's not the coolest thing ever, but it's like uh, small things like this stick with me at the moment. Um, right. I love this Coke machine that you're looking at over here. I, actually, I'll show you how it works after the podcast. It actually still functions. The, refri really? the refrigeration needs to be upgraded, but all the mechanicals inside work. And my cousin Maya, who's our head brewer, was it? Was this here? No, no, we bought you that. bought that. Yeah, I bought it because I I saw it. I thought this is this is one of the coolest things I've seen lately. So maybe that's a better answer for you. But um, <laughs> you can put ten cents in there and twist the dial and like pull out a can of Coke. We've thought about actually stacking it with like real Coke bottles. The only thing is we don't we don't want to um, you'd have to they cost ten cents, so it'd be a loss like from a profit standpoint, right? But I do think it'd be pretty amazing if kids could come in here with a dime and walk away with a soda. So we're, we're trying to see what we can do with right. it. No, that's sweet. Yeah. Um, what tools do you use on a daily basis that you couldn't live without? iPhone, everything Apple. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent Apple. Sorry, Android users. Um, 
No, but like in, uh, I mean, it's unfortunate. Like I, I try not to start my day with looking at my phone, but inevitably within like five minutes of being awake, it's like, all right, let me just make sure there were no emergencies. Right. And then when you start with the no emergencies, then it's like, all right, well, let me just look at emails to be like, you know, sure. And then, right. then it's like, well, fuck, I'm already doing this. Let me just check Instagram and make sure there's not like DMs or something. And then, yeah, technology. I mean, you have to embrace it if you're in the business world today, right? So it's the most important thing to me is technology. Yeah. Um, and even from a data tracking standpoint, like we have a QR code that we put on, on the, the side, side of the building. building. Yeah. yeah, we get um, 2000 scans a month, you know? So I, I love technology. No, that's and, sweet. Uh, yeah, and we're we're doing a, we're giving away free chicken for a year too, which is, um, which is also related to technology because we're going to be announcing everything on our website, but I'll have to, I'll give you, I'll give you all the details. No, for sure. For sure. So yeah. Um, what are the most transformational changes you're looking to make in the next 90 days? So this is, this is pretty big. This is like yeah. maybe aligning with your, uh, Oh no, 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 no. I'm, I'm completely transparent here. I have been, um, taste testing fried chicken and beer for like over a year now and I need to lose some weight. So yeah, I got to <laughs> stop literally like with, Andy and I both, we put on so much weight. Taste testing chicken. Oh God, it's crazy. But it's a true thing. Like when we're building this recipe, every single day we're just cooking fried chicken. And then we got to try all the sauces. And then we're like taste testing beers. And we're like, okay, what beer complements this? And what does that? Yeah. Like, I need to, I need to, yeah, I need to, I need to run more. I, I would like to see a personal transformation happen more than anything. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and if it wasn't personal, um, you know, I'm just really excited to see this thing come to life. Oh yeah, and that'll happen within 90 days, so that that meets the criteria of the question as well. Yeah, uh, uh, what advice would you give to an entrepreneur or someone who's starting a business that was most important for you? Yeah, um, so I'll just go with like what I know. Like my background was photography, and I actually I studied film at the University of Southern California before getting a um, an actual BFA from the University of the Arts in Philadelphia for photography. Um, so I'll, I often get hit up on Instagram for people saying, hey, like I'm a new photographer, blah, blah, blah. And I always say to people, start interning, you know, don't, don't spend, um, don't spend like 150,000 on your college education just yet. Start interning, you know, like if you're inspired by a photographer's artwork that you see in Philadelphia Magazine, email them and offer to work for free, you know? Um, so once you get immersed, I mean, you can sort of identify if it's really just like, you know, is it a fad or is yeah, it, is it really a fad or yeah, exactly. You know, like, um, I worked a lot with Steven Singer. He's like the jeweler in Philadelphia. I did oh, yeah. a lot of photography for him in the past. And we had a similar conversation where like, you know, like people come to him looking for jobs and they might be like, yeah, you know, I love gems. I mean, even I was telling him, I sort of love gems and stuff. And uh, it's kind of like a really interesting business, you know? And he was like, it's fad, you know, like you have to be a hundred percent sure. And then he was like, he was saying to me, um, every employee of his has to read a book by, um, by Malcolm Gladwell called mm -hmm. Outliers. Yeah. Have you read this book? I haven't, but it's on my list. It's fantastic. So he was the first one that recommended it to me. And um, shout out to Stephen because I will 100% make all my employees read it as well. Um, because being an outlier in this world is amazing. You know, one of the one of the references is just that general idea that like you know Michael Jordan didn't become who he was until he did until he played 10,000 hours of basketball. Right. 
you know, like Bill Gates didn't really get programming until it was, or Steve Jobs until they did 10,000 hours of work. Um, so yeah, I think you got to really immerse yourself in whatever, you know, if you're a young entrepreneur and you're like, Hey, I want to open a restaurant. Um, you should probably start working for a restaurant before you, before you <laughs> jump right into it. Although I didn't. Um, but I was in a unique situation, really unique situation being that I was in Dubai and then Korea right. and then back here. Um, yeah, just I, I people should always intern and make sure it's not a fad, you know, yeah. and, and read books. Books are incredible, man. It's so easy with like Netflix these days, but pick up a fucking book. You have to. Um, it's different. Yeah. Like I mean, I you, you can you can learn both ways, but it, it it's 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 different. Like there's a yeah. part of your brain that's being used when you're reading when it's not when you're just watching something. Yeah. Yeah. You got, you got to, you got to read books, kids. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah. She and also, you, she also works for the school district. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Phoenixville library. <laughs> nah, I'm a big proponent of reading though. I just feel like it's, um, it, you, yeah, you, your brain processes differently. And I think it's, um, it's a great way to sort of, you know, you could, you know, you can read it. You can watch a YouTube video on how to do something. You can also read a book on how to do it. Right. My gut says at the end of the day, you get a quicker answer with YouTube. You, you get sustainability with books, you yeah. know, like you really registers. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, and then uh, finally, what, what's your favorite beverage? Mm, it's watermelon juice. Really? Yeah. I love watermelon juice. That's an interesting one. Is that weird? It's strange, right? Yeah. It's watermelon juice, dude. I can like, live, like live on it. Like fresh, or is it like zhuzhed up in us? No, no, no. Just just fresh. Just like, like a like a pureed watermelon. Yeah. 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 Uh well, we're gonna make it for you. We might right. even put it on the menu. <laughs> Shea's Shay special. Shay's watermelon juice. Uh yeah, man. I love watermelon juice. Um I, I tend to I'm my background, my family's Sicilian. I drink a lot of red wine. Mm. Um spent a lot of time in the early before. Uh, yeah. So watermelon juice, red wine, I guess beer's third. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be soon. <laughs> yeah. Water's good too. You know, some, some proper H2O hydration, yeah. but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Dude. Watermelon. Hell yeah. I like that. That's <laughs> a, 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 a good spot. First yeah. one that said watermelon. Yeah, you are. Um, well dude, thanks so much for coming on, man. I, re awesome, I really, Greg. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited for the opening in the next, you know, what month and a half or so. Yeah. Thank um, you, man. So, thank you, you know, we'll you. be there. Well, I'm definitely here to support and, uh, you know, take the next minute or so just to plug anything you want to plug and kind of give the people any um, cool events yeah. coming up. No, I, the truth is we, we, we're not, we got nothing to plug, man. We love, um, you know, we just love that the, you're, I love that you're local, that you're mm -hmm. in the, that you live in Phoenixville. Thank you for reaching out. Sure. Um, you know, we want to support every single business we can that's in the area. Um, and uh, yeah, if anyone wants to learn more about Soko Bag, like our doors are open every single day and we welcome people. When somebody somebody came earlier today and he's like, oh, I thought you guys are open. I'm like, we're not, but come on in. Let me show you what's going on. So we love welcoming people in our doors. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, we'll just look forward to uh, to having all your listeners come eat some fried chicken, watch some sports. Hell yeah. Hell yeah ride a bike or uber because you know we got lots of good beer here but yeah oh yeah <laughs> thanks so much man really appreciate yeah. it lovely dude lovely lovely
Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go and hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and all major platforms, and you'll get new notifications whenever episodes are posted. If you want to write to us or have a business that may be a good fit for the show, feel free to reach out. Our email address is leverageandbeverage at gmail.com, and our Instagram is at leverageandbeverage. I'm Greg Soposinski, and as always, keep pushing forward one sip at a time. 